said and she said you need to pay attention If they make the comment then it's worth the mention Jamil and Shatora you know they got the scoop At work talking about what black people do If you ain't real then you probably won't feel this It's all facts you know they coming with the realness Or pettiness either way you are getting it Uncut, unfiltered, and unedited Lifting up the culture, you know how it's gotta be Making words work, give it to you tongue-in-cheek Forget that water cooler, we like tea sweet This is boss talk reserved for the B-sweet B-sweet, B-sweet Boss talk is reserved for the B-sweet B-sweet, B-sweet Cool it out or you'll end up on that B-sweet and we are launching One, season two, four, three, four, season four of the B Suite podcast. It is so exciting, man. Man, Shatora, what's up? What's We're going live. on? We are live. Yo, when the last time have we been like live? Uh, the Sean King episode. Oh, wow. That's, that was that was July. What, last was that last year? That was July. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's been a little while since we've been live, but mm-hmm. you know, we are officially back. Wow. We did a uh a bonus episode. We did a bonus episode yeah. with, uh, about, about the, the royal racism. Yeah, that's that's taking place with Meghan Markle and yeah. and Harry with no last name. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if they have a last name. I don't know. I gave up. So yeah. So I think the Queen doesn't. But. Yeah. So I'm excited to be back. I am Jamil. I'm Shatora. Yeah, and we are the B Suite Podcast. We are so excited Welcome to be back. Welcome to the studio. Welcome everybody. to the studio. We are back for <laughs> officially for the launch of season four of the mm-hmm. B Suite Podcast, mm-hmm. and I'm so excited about today. Today's gonna be. Today is gonna be a every vibe. time. I mean, it's just Black Girl Magic, and it's, it's anytime we have Black Girl Magic on the show, it's just <laughs> you know I love being around this amazing Black women. You we know. know. So yeah, I, know. it's it's just it's just a good time, you know. So I do too. It's yeah, great. yeah. Awesome. So, so I know that we said before we get into like all of the the goodness of this show because I promise y'all, I promise y'all, this is gonna be a hell of a show today. <laughs> this is gonna be a hell of a show. So, but before we um, kind of get into that, I wanted you know we you know prior to the show starting, we were talking about okay how we how can we like enhance the show and such you know and we we want to add some new segments and things like that. So we um we're gonna be adding a segment called Tell Them Why You Mad. Tell them why you mad, Jay. Right. So tell them why you mad. <laughs> so today, I know in in pre production of the show, um, I said that you know we were talking about one of the reasons that uh, some things has been kind of been kind of pissing me off a little bit lately. But mm-hmm. um, I kind of I fib to you a little bit, Shatora. Oh. I fib to you just a little bit Uh-oh. because um, today I do want we are going to have that segment. We yeah. are going to have that segment. Mm-hmm. But today, I really wanted to take the opportunity to really give you your flowers. Because you, you know, you've you are doing such amazing work. Don't make me cry. No. We're live. <laughs> What's happening? Yo, you, no, but you're doing such amazing work um, with everything that you're doing here in the city, Shatora. And I know things can be challenging at times with, with everything that's going on, but you know, you are just the epitome. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because we have a guest or anything or we're live. I mean this um sincerely from the bottom of my heart, man. Like uh, just seeing how you move out here, Shatora, it's just been, it's inspirational. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at you. A lot of people are looking up to you. And I just think that you're you're absolutely phenomenal. And I just wanted to thank you publicly for everything that you're oh, doing you, here in the city. I mean, you're doing, you're like, Shatora is really putting on for the city right now, y'all. Like, mm-hmm. like legit putting on for the city. So um, I'm just like, I know, like I said, I, I, I didn't want to tell you that, you know, pre-production, <laughs> yeah, would, yeah. you know what I mean? But I, I just pivoted. wanted to, we right. Yeah. Because I, I really wanted just to kind of give you your flower because, you know, we talk about this um, often on the podcast before we need to do a better job of like really giving each other our flowers while we can still smell them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, um, you, you know, you and I, we, you, you know, you're, you're like family to me. And I, I, I just love everything about what who you are and everything you got going on. So I want to make sure that you smell your flowers thank and let you. you know that you are phenomenal. And thank you for all the things that you got going on. Thank you. And I and I appreciate that. And so just everybody who might be watching, you know, today was a, a particularly difficult day. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, low moments also because I got the COVID vaccine yesterday and Mm. I do not feel great, but I'm vaccinated. So that's great. So I just, I really appreciate that Jay. Um, I, you know, I'm just, I, I, 
I can only be the 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 best that I know how to be. And right. so if that ends up presenting a better example for, for people who need that, then then that's what God put me here to do. So yeah. thank you. No, absolutely. You, you know, you're, you're black girl magic out here, man. So. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, absolutely. So I mean, look, it kind it kind of really segues in beautifully to our guest, Erica Pittman, who um, you know, I really appreciated her book, especially as a black woman, um, who I, I think, you know, put it, putting yourself out there is not easy. And and one thing about her book that that resonated with me as as well was in the very beginning when her family was like, oh, we don't want you to go away to college, stay home, <laughs> you know, and right there you almost feel like, ah, that's that's a dream deferred. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened to me. I got an opportunity to move to Spain and work. I had a job, I had an apartment and all that. And my family was like, no, you leave, we're not going to support you. And every time people ask me like, what's the one regret you have in your life? My one regret is not just going to Spain and just doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. But at this point in my life, I don't even really regret it because of where I am now right. um, and what my calling was. So, you know, experiences like this showing up and really understanding that you're not the only one going through something is really validating. Mm -hmm. So really appreciate this book. Can't wait for you guys to get it. And read yeah, it, we're going to be give. So let's, let's just kind of, yeah. yeah, let's just kind of jump right into yeah. um, our guest for today. I'm super, super excited. So before I give the formal introduction, yeah. I just want to tell a little backstory. It's always a story. It's always a story, right? So, um, Usually when we look at brands, right, and the success of brands, uh, normally they are attributed to or you have like a, a person who's like the face mm -hmm. of, of that brand. Mm -hmm. But I'm always more fascinated by the people behind the brand, mm -hmm. you know, because th there are people, th th the drivers behind the brand are the ones that's actually mm -hmm. just really making making things happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So a few years ago, uh, about six years ago, actually, um, when I was like really trying to um, break into the music business and such, I, I took a journey down to Miami for the Revolt Music Conference. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, shout out to Sean P. Diddy Combs and the Revolt family. I mean, they, it was just an amazing conference. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, I took some time off of work and I, I was just like, you know what, I'm out. I just went down there. I was just me by myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just went down there. But when I went down there, it was one person that I knew that I wanted to meet more than anybody else down there. And it's our guest today, Erica Pittman. Um, I, I would just, I, I learned about her story over the course of the years. Um, um, I actually did some, some internship, some remote internship, um, work with bad boy, um, okay. when I was in college. Okay. Right. So, so I had the opportunity to learn um, more about her and the, um, the company that she was working for, um, way, way back when, um, blue flame, blue flame agency, which was the marketing agency for, uh, for bad boy and such and all and entire Combs enterprise. Mm -hmm. And, and I just, I learned when I learned her story, I'm just like, yo, like she's like dope. I, nice. I have to meet her. Yeah. Right. I have to meet her. So I remember going to, um, it was one particular panel that she was speaking on. I made sure I was like, I'm going to sit front row. You know, I'm going to sit front row. I'm going to ask all the questions in the world. And I only got a chance to ask, ask one question. But And I got TV time, so I was good, you know. But I, I did get an opportunity to uh, to ask uh, Erica um, some questions. I think it was around like mentorship or something like that. And, you know, I got a chance to connect with her in the hallway afterwards. Um, I don't know if you remember my, my wall of influences at home. I, I have the pictures of yeah. a lot of different people that I've yeah. met over the years. Yeah. And Erica is one of those pictures that I have on my wall. So I'm so, so excited that we have um, the amazing, the beautiful um, Erica Pittman. So let me, that was the informal introduction. <laughs> that was the informal introduction. So let me kind of, let me guys give you a brief introduction about Erica Pittman. So after 25 years of leading marketing across category, expanding CPG, beauty, food and beverage and luxury goods, Erica Pittman is out to conquer new terrain. Cannabis. Yes. So <laughs> as the chief marketing officer of premium of the premium brand Viola, um, Pittman is uh, the first African-American woman CMO of a multi-state cannabis company. After serving as CMO of Aqua Hydrate um, and as a top executive at Sean Combs's Combs's Enterprise, she joined the cannabis firm in December 2019, which means she spent the majority of her tenure um, at the brand under lockdown. 
Uh, in that short time, she has led activations, including uh, bringing New York's um, Julian Club to Chicago for NBA's All-Star Weekend, 420 Daily, which is a virtual programming series on Instagram, and launched the company's social equity initiative, Viola Cares, um, with um, nonprofit Root and Rebound. So that's just, and we're going to get all into the story. You know, we're going to get all up in the videos, you know, dancing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I want to introduce and bring you guys the amazing Erica Pittman. Erica, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for that wonderful, wonderful intro. I appreciate you guys so much. No, we appreciate Look you. Like you gorgeous. are. Yeah, she isn't she like she's just <laughs> oh flawless, God. man. Like this, yeah. you talk about black girl, I, like just oozing black girl oozing, magic, man. Yeah. Like, come on. So man. Can I tell oh. you guys? Wait, really quickly. I watched Justice League over the weekend. I'm a yeah. little bit of a superhero movie nerd, yeah. and that Wonder Woman, she gets me every time. Yeah. I'm like, I was like, yes, I can do it. I can do it. I'm Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank I mean, you, you are you you, you absolutely yeah you are absolutely just doing incredible incredible things and. Again, we are so grateful to have you on um, as the first guest on season four of the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today, Erica. So um, we want to jump right into the conversation. Um, you know, you spent a better half of more than about 25 years, actually, um, just building a, an incredible career. Um, we talked a little bit about it. Um, so there are some for those who are out there, people who might not be familiar with Erica and the backstory. Just kind of tell us how you got to the point where you are today. Um, just kind of give us a little bit of your backstory. Oh, well, yeah, that's a, it's getting a little bit long winded now. I think every year there's like some new adventure to add to it, which is all about life. Right. But no. So I started out um, in dot uh, com, believe it or not, I uh, village dot com in 1996. Dare I say how many years ago that was. But yeah, so I was a part of one of the first um, digital multimedia startups um, in 1996, which was an amazing opportunity for me um, at iVillage.com. But there I was um, really not necessarily feeling the cultural connection. And I went to um, a company called Vanguard Media with Keith Klingscales, where I sold advertising for three African-American lifestyle magazines called Honey, Heart and Soul and Savoy. And um, that was a really great opportunity. I got to learn a lot about business, a lot about sales, strategy, marketing, I'm really being good at something, I think, for the first time in my career. And I was like, wait a minute, this is probably where I'm going to spend the most of my career. And um, unfortunately, Vanguard went under about three and a half years in, and I was forced to find new employment. But one of the good things was I started these informational interviews and just talking to people in my network and just really understanding the industry that I was in and was able to land a job at Time Inc. and then went on to Condé Nast for Glamour magazine. And then I was recruited at um, uh, Alfred Liggins and Kathy Hughes' Giant Magazine and Interactive One, and then Vibe Magazine, and it kind of just sort of spawned all of these career moves. But one of the things that I realized was I was bored with sales. It was like this, it was pulling at me, like just selling, 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 revenue, 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 and figuring out how to make your thing the best thing to get the most money. And it just wasn't necessarily authentic to what I believed and how I wanted to operate for myself and for the brands that I was partnering with. Like there were there were brands that I didn't think were good brands and I had to figure out how to try to sell them into the magazine and the the constituency that I was representing and I felt disingenuous. I'm like mm -hmm. I'm representing African American lifestyle and I'm trying to pitch them products that I wouldn't buy and that's just not that wasn't it didn't feel good. And I realized, you know what, maybe this is not necessarily the career track for me. And while sales is lucrative and amazing and people that can do it well do really well, it wasn't necessarily where I was going to sort of dig my heels in for my career. So I decided to start thinking about my career in a different context and realizing that the things that I was good at didn't necessarily make me the thing that I was doing in my job. So I was good at taking a brand taking the tools in my toolbox and saying, here's how I can make your brand make more connection, make more revenue, make more opportunities and create all these different spaces. That's marketing. Mm -hmm. And I said, hmm, wait a minute, I've got to flip this and go to the marketing side of this because this is what I'm actually good at. But the, the industry told me because I didn't go to Kellogg 
and get an MBA. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't work at P&G for 10 years, mm-hmm. that I couldn't become an executive in marketing. And the reason why I tell the story in the way that I'm telling it is because I want people to understand that you know, the traditional track is not always the right track and everybody's path is serendipitous. And for me, it was like, you know what, I'm really good at this. So I'm going to try to do what I know how to do with integrity on the other side. And it took a while. I I spoke with a bunch of different folks and Keith Klinkscale, who I love to this day, I will pick up the phone and call him on speed dial. And he hates whenever I say this, but I tried to convince him to help me to become a marketer. And Keith told me, in that moment, he said, Erica, you don't need to do this. And now in my book, I talk about Keith, who also helped me to negotiate my biggest salary mm. at the time. So Keith is one of my biggest advocates, but he also was one of the people that told me that I could not become a marketer because I was really good at selling. He's like, Erica, right now you're a point guard and you're trying to be, forgive me, Jamil, I should know what the other position should be opposite <laughs> of the point guard. But he, I just remember him specifically being like, you're a point guard, you shoot. That's what you do. You shoot. Just shoot. Stop focusing on all these other things. And I'm like, Keith, I hear you, but I'm really good at these other things. Help me to transfer these skills. And it it broke my heart when someone who has been one of my biggest advocates, someone who has taught me so much in business. And at the time, forgive me, guys, who's watching. Keith Klingscales was the president of Revolt Television Network uh, in our most recent uh, colleague relationship. But he was previously the president of Vanguard Media. So we have a, a long-standing relationship with each other. He was someone that has always advocated for my success and helped me to navigate. But he, at the first time, was saying, this is not your lane. You're, you're falling out of your lane. And I'm like, Keith, you don't know what the F you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm good at this. I know I can do it. And I'm going to try anyway. Mm-hmm. And even in spite of what he was trying to convince me was, you're good. Make a ton of money doing this. You're so good at it. I said, no, there's something else for me. Mm. And I went out and discouraged, quite frankly, because this was someone that has advocated and won for me and protected me, quite frankly, in my business um, career. This is someone that told me the buck stops. This is all I can offer you. I can't give you all this other other stuff that you're looking for because I don't believe you fit the bill for these other things. And this is all part of our dialogue. We're about, I'm like a grandma. I, I got all kinds of stuff I'm feeding into you with this story, right? So I'm like, okay, uh, that's great. That's great, Keith. I'm going to just move on. Have a bunch of informational interviews. And I, I have an informational interview with a woman by the name of Amani Duncan, who is at VH1, I believe, is most recently. But she was the chief marketing officer at uh, Bad Boy Worldwide Entertainment Group, which mm-hmm. is now Combs Enterprises. Thank God we say Combs Enterprises and not Bad Boy <laughs> Worldwide Entertainment Group, because that's just a lot to say. <laughs> but anyway, she was the CMO at Bad Boy Worldwide Entertainment Group. And, you know, she asked me, what was my dream job? And I tell this story repeatedly because I think, you know, success is where opportunity meets preparedness. And I could tell you a whole other story about how I learned learned that. But I knew exactly what I wanted to do in that moment. And I articulated a position that could monetize a paradigm that you know could be replicated and do all these different things. And at the end of the conversation, she said, well, this is exactly the role we're trying to create at Blue Flame. Would you ever think about coming to work for Sean Cones? And mm-hmm. I immediately said, yeah, Puff? <laughs> no, 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 Shatur. I was like, Puff? Oh, no, no, no. I would work for Puff? Oh, no, we can't. Oh, yeah, wow. no, I, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> that wasn't where I was going with this girl. I was just, I'm having an informational interview and trying to, you know, get some information about how I can, you know, operate as an executive in marketing. And what she said, well, well, you know, to be brutally honest with you, I've always admired his, his business acumen and his fervor for getting, creating what he wants in life, not getting, but literally creating what he wants in life. Mm -hmm. I've always, always been intrigued by that. But I did recognize that his personality was Mm -hmm. honestly very, very similar to my own. And -hmm. sometimes oil and fire don't mix. And I'm just like, I don't know that his mercurial, visceral personality could fit with, you know, the passion and, you know, visceral, mercurial types of parts of my personality. It may not ever fit. And this obviously is what you see on the outside. You know, we all have seen the, you know, go walk to Brooklyn to get the cheesecake moment yeah, on the, you know, the, yeah. you know, the MTV, rea- making the band reality shows, right? And so obviously I knew, I've known of him and um, peripherally knew him 
for a long period of time leading up to that, but I knew his passion and I knew how he operated to create success. And I just didn't feel like my personality would jive in that space. So my immediately, which is another thing we need to talk about, is my immediate suggestion was, no, that can't fit. It can't work. And luckily, Amani was like, well, this is the exact position we are thinking about for this company. I think this is something you should think about. And after, you know, maybe a week of sort of structuring this role, you know, from from uh, obligations, key performance indicators, uh, salaries, we said, okay, this might work. And we created a position within Combs Enterprises. And I became the vice president of brand strategy in 2009. Honestly, March 1st, 2009, it's, it's almost serendipitous um, that we're having this discussion so, um, so close to the anniversary. Mm-hmm. But I decided to take the role. And, and, and again, it was a pay cut, by the way, because mm-hmm. salespeople make a ton of money. They, wake, they make way more money sometimes than marketing people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I took a pay cut to go be an executive within this agency. And it was the best decision of my life. Mm-hmm. I worked there for nine and a half years. And I have learned so much and experienced so many amazing brands and people and, and Sean Combs. I mean, he it's unspeakable how amazing he is as a marketer and a business mind and all of the things that he has been able to create in culture. Um, uh, so being that close to greatness was really, really a, a godsend. And, um, and yeah. And then, so from there, I moved on to be the CMO of his water company, Aqua Hydrate. And then I consulted as an executive uh, with uh, Scott Mills at BET with Viacom for about a year and a half, which was amazing. I worked on the BETX uh, and BET Awards. And then I was recruited with, by Al Harrington at Viola, uh, which is the largest uh, multi op- multi-state operating cannabis company in the country. And um, as of late, I'm actually, I've left Viola. I haven't, I don't know that I've said that out loud, but I left Viola, which is okay. And I love Al and I love Viola and all the amazing things, but you know, life goes on and we move on to bigger and different things. So it's, it's been a great ride. Can I, I really want to talk about something that you mentioned and that's taking a pay cut to go to Combs Enterprises. And the reason why I want to talk about that, I was just having this conversation with a girlfriend of mine um, uh, and we were, we used the example of Michelle Obama actually who left a high powered job in a law firm in Chicago to go work for city government. And, you know, she took a major pay cut. And what I was telling my friend was the reason why that's so brilliant is because she understood what her purpose was. Right. And so when you know what your purpose is, the pay cut is just temporary. It's just temporary because really you're building upon something that's so much bigger than what you can really even conceive the possibilities, right? So um, so you taking a pay cut to me demonstrates the type of person that you are. You're a very principled, purposeful person who has a vision. So I don't know if you have anything to say in response to that, but I kind of wanted to just get into that because- that's that that's something that people might gloss over, but it's actually important to know when you talk about leaders and successful people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, my mom has always said, you know, sometimes you have to take one step back to take two steps forward. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I um I had always been very, I tell people this all the time in all of my interviews. I'm very, very driven by money. I've always been driven by money. I don't need a gold star. I don't need to be the CEO. I, I, I can be the janitor if you're going to pay me a million dollars. Like I don't, I don't, it's money for me. Right. And, and that's not always good for some people, but it's okay for me. That's what drives me. And it's because I want to create opportunities for people and my family and security and a whole host of other things of why money is important for me. Not that I have to justify it, but just to explain for context. And so, you know, taking a pay cut is counterintuitive to that. But what I knew for certain is, if I didn't have these prerequisites that everyone told me that I needed, you know, I didn't have the Kellogg degree. I didn't have P&G experience for the last five years as a marketing manager. I didn't have all these things, although I knew I could do the job commensurately. I knew that I had to prove myself. And so it was okay for me to be able to take a bit of a step back for something that I was passionate about and I believe that I could excel and be really great at. 
And I think that's what's important is sometimes you have to make the sacrifices in your life for the things that you think you're going to be good at and the things that you want to be good at, even if you don't know if you can be. And, you know, whether that means investing in B-School and, you know, getting a loan to go to Harvard Business School or Kellogg or whomever, I don't care, community call, I don't know, whatever you're getting your MBA in. But, you know, whatever those sacrifices are is being committed to making those sacrifices to be who you believe you can become. And that was that was a space for me and a friend, a really dear friend of mine, Wes Moore, who is a accomplished author and most recently the um president of um, Robin Hood Foundation, not to be confused with Robin Hood Investment, Robin Hood Foundation, which is one of the largest endowments for um, for, for public uh, advancement uh, in New York City. He is a dear friend, uh, brother-in-law, almost my best friend's husband. He had a conversation with me a few years back that said, you know, we don't always have to chase the money. The money will come. Chase mm-hmm. what you love and the money will come. And it's so true, you know, even for my own self, taking the step back with Blue Flame, I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. It's, it's a vice president of strategy. It's an exciting role. It's all these dope, amazing brands. And it literally, literally was the best decision I've ever made in my career. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Best mm-hmm. decision. Fant- that's a, that's amazing. And and definitely one of the, the principles that I uh, I live by whenever people ask me, oh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for it? The money will come. The money, money will, will come. always mm-hmm. come because if what you have, you had a great idea, you had a vision, right? And they made that position for you. And now you're able to live life in a way that manifests that vision probably times, you know, a hundred. So I, I think that that, to me, is a great lesson for everyone, um, but especially for people who have like that burning desire in them. You can't sit around and just wait for it to happen. You, you, you have to have that plan and work against it. So, so that's okay. amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't want to gloss over something that, that we just mentioned, but, uh, you know, I think we just got some breaking news, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, that she's no longer with Viola. So I wanted to kind of go back to that just a little bit um, for a second, um, because I wanted to talk about that transition, you know, that, you know, you were at Combs Enterprises for such a long period of time, like you said, nine years. Um, and then you went over to, um, uh, you know, to Viola. What attracted you to, you know, getting to that, that cannabis space? Well, I think it's interesting. I've always people don't know this about me at large, but I've always been very, very intrigued by cannabis. I mean, literally for like the last 30 years, I've been very, very always intrigued about how cannabis works. Like, I think when I was when I was younger, I discovered that uh, cancer patients were legally prescribed cannabis to help Mm -hmm. with chemotherapy. And that was a red flag to me. And I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute. Is it illegal? Is it a little bit illegal? Is it a lot illegal? Like what's happening here? Like, what are we doing here? And we, the fact that this country never really created any real restrictive boundaries around it being a prescribed drug, uh, it being medicine, never being able to really define it in a way that was positive was a contradiction to what I was seeing in my own neighborhoods, you know, growing up in East New York, Brooklyn and seeing people completely dismantled by, you know, this plant, the plant. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, poppy seed is a plant too, which is, could be heroin and I get it, but this is cannabis. It's not, right. you know, it's used for so many different things. And the fact that, that my people, my, my, my neighborhood was being compromised in this way, but at the same time, doctors were prescribing this really horrible thing, quote unquote, made it very challenging for me, even as early as, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. And so I've always watched it peripherally to see kind of where it was going and what it meant. And I think most recently, uh, the monetization of said plant has been um, has been a real challenge as it relates to African Americans. I mean, people are making billions of dollars in this mm-hmm. industry, and less than 5% of the ownership within this industry is African-American. Yet Mm -hmm. when you look at incarceration rates and the people Mm -hmm. that are being arrested and convicted for nonviolent crimes Mm -hmm. in this industry are um, 85% plus, I believe. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, this is insane. 
So there are people that are making billions of dollars and publicly traded. And then there are people that have lost time and money and life with their families and their whole existence for the same plan. Something has to give here. And now I, I got really educated on the space working with Viola, but the spirit with which why I went to Viola stems from that. It's like we have to be able to tell a different narrative about African-Americans in the space. And what Al Harrington has been able to do has been phenomenal. I mean, he is a phenomenal individual personally, professionally, and his spirit and fervor for what he is trying to create in terms of equity for Black people in this industry is, is bar none. There's no one in the space that is creating a brand of this magnitude that is legitimately built to help Black people succeed. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And so when his team came to recruit me and I started to do the research around what he was doing, the purpose behind his work had me at hello. I was like, I, I wanna be a part of this. I wanna create history for Black people in the cannabis space. So, so I'm still excited about what's happening with Viola and what, what they'll be able to create. But why I decided to come on board was because I wanted to help forward the, 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 the Black experience in this country and around the world as it relates to cannabis. Erica, oh. No, real quick, I just wanted to um, kind of touch on it because you, you said something that was so, so profound, you know, when it, as it pertains to, uh, you know, the criminal justice system, you know, and the, um, the inequities um, as it pertains to, you know, people of color um, with, within the system, people who use marijuana and such. So how do you think, how do we atone for those, those mistakes? You know, because we see it happening, like this marijuana thing is like the, it's like the new gold rush, right? So how do, you know, but the thing is like our, our community is, one, is the one that's still disproportionately affected by it, right? Mm -hmm. We, like you said, we've lost, families have been destroyed. You know, people have lost lives and this, this lost a lot, you know, because of this. So how do we begin to atone for that, you know, for these mistakes that were made, you know, um, and make sure that- Injustices, th they weren't mistakes. Right, right. So how do we, how do we atone for that? <laughs> that part. <laughs> and, my, and my question was actually very similar. I was going to ask you how you feel about the conversation around reparations. So- Well, that was going to be my response. And thank you so much. I was going to say- you know, this is about reciprocity. This is not necessarily about atonement for us. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this is not, first of all, let's start here. This is not new news. This has happened repeatedly to African-Americans, repeatedly. We talk about, you know, the tobacco industry, the lottery industry. There's, we could, we could run the gamut of all these different industries where African-Americans have been subjugated, but at the same time, not necessarily been able to optimize the benefits of it. I mean, this goes on and on and on since the beginning of time. So this is not about atonement. This is about reciprocity. And that comes with us being able to evaluate the opportunity that's in front of us and being able to advocate for ourselves to say, hey, listen, this is how this works. And we need some you know, equitable opportunities to be able to allow African-Americans in a space to educate them, to empower them, and to resource them with the tools that they need to be successful. Um, you know, it's funny, within cannabis, one of the big things is, um, is equitable opportunities and being able to have cash access. So it's not necessarily, hey, 10 Black people get a license in Des Moines, God forgive me if Des Moines is not a legal state. I didn't mean it from that. I was just using some very obscure uh, destination. But what I'm saying is, hey, we gave you a shot. No, you gave us a shot. But to build you know, a profitable cannabis business in that space requires X, Y, and Z, and this approval and that approval and that knowledge, and you're giving it to disenfranchised people. Right. So you're taking, so there, so just so you understand the, the, the equity opportunities that are, that are offered to African-Americans or people of color, quite frankly, are, oh, you were in jail for 10 years for cannabis and now you're out. Okay. You get a cannabis license at right. a dispensary. Right. No I sold cannabis on the street 10 years ago. I don't know how to build a retail outlet within right. the guidelines and the governance of this particular state and just source cannabis and have the funding or the resources to be able to accommodate that. So it's a, it's a little bit of a crapshoot when you're not giving people the opportunity to really engage in a successful opportunity to be successful. So, you know, one of the things that Viola is doing, and I think a couple of other brands are trying to figure out how to do, um, is 
to not only educate uh, the community, but to um, curate uh, the constituency of people that could really be successful at running a business, but then also funding them with the right capital to be able to do that. Because a lot of these places are not. So you have the big three, which I won't name, you can research for yourself, that are saying, hey, we have equity opportunities. Yeah, but are you really funding them? Are you really educating the people? Are you really creating opportunities for them to be successful? Are you just trying to tap into their license opportunities as, you know, low income or opportunity or, 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 or brands that could get these licenses so that you can maximize? So. Yeah. No, this is incredible because what you're saying is literally what I do every day, which is taking taking those more surface, superficial equity opportunities and actually making making them substantive to the people there's they're met to reach right and providing that technical assistance whether it's forgivable loan programs walking them through the process helping them with um any kind of credentialing they need so it, everything you're saying is incredible i okay. i want to i, I want to pivot because okay. we can talk about the can I can talk about the cannabis industry all day. It's, so can I. So can I. I get I get on my I get on my soapbox about the cannabis industry, and you can catch me for about three hours because I think it's nonsense. But okay, <laughs> <laughs> we can do more. But you've given me some great ideas, actually. So thank you. Um, uh, I want to talk about the book, and first, I have a two part question. What made you want to write the book and why did you give it the title that you did? That's, those are two really great questions. Very, very loaded. Um, so I think I mentioned it earlier on, but I wrote this book. I started, excuse me, I made peace with the fact that I wanted to write this book 13 years ago. And so I say to people quite often, it took me 12, now 13 years to write this you know, this published thing that you see behind me and that we're talking about. And the reality is, is, Writing a book takes a tremendous amount of courage and um, connection with self to admit that this is something that you want to do. And for a very long time, I didn't think I had a story big enough to tell. You know, I've had people say craziness to me in my life about who I thought I was, and I was, you know, not necessarily what I thought I was, and why would I need to do that, and a whole host of other things that might, you know might you know discourage someone, but it didn't necessarily discourage me. But I do think that it made me insecure about the idea that I didn't get to tell my story. And what was interesting is the reason why I thought I didn't need to tell my story was not necessarily what you might think it is. Um, if you read the book, you'll realize I didn't have a ton of trauma in my life. You know, I wasn't yeah. raised by drug addict parents. Yeah. I definitely had a single, you know, single mom. I grew up in a project in Brooklyn that wasn't dissimilar to 80% of the people around me at that time. And, you know, I had these things, but I also had Disney World and tap dance and ballet and tennis lessons and all these other ridiculous things that my mom tried to create for me so that I can have access to different parts of, of life, which was phenomenal. But I thought growing up, my story wasn't either wasn't big enough or it wasn't dramatically horrible enough to be able to tell a story about who I was and how I became this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I was supposed to not make it. I was supposed to be someone else by, you know, statistic standards. And being able to tell this story is important, um, not necessarily because I want to share who I am, but what I realized is that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't the only young woman that was going through some of the things that I was going through. And I'm like, mm -hmm. there are a lot of women like me, black, orange, or green, mm -hmm. that are like, what the fudge? What do I do now? Mm -hmm. And you know, I sort of put it aside and said, mm, I'm not gonna do this right now. I don't know that it's big enough. I'm not gonna do it. And then I had a conversation with B. Smith, who recently passed away about a year or so ago. And um, she said to me, um, I was at her restaurant in New York in 2010, and I told her that I wanted to write a book. And she said, that is awesome. What do you want to write a book about? And I told her my diatribe that I just shared with you. And she said, well, let's do a TOC. And she grabbed a napkin. And she's like, if you can find 10 things to talk about in your book, 10 topics, you have a book. And so we sat there and I came up with three. And she said, well, when you come up with the other seven, you have a book. And, I, and this is B. Smith. 
I don't, God is just with me, right? Like how does B. Smith coach me on building a book? And, you know, just, but it was serendipity. And I said, wow, this is amazing. I probably can do this. And, you know, she's written at the time, maybe two or three books at the time. And I said, you know what? I think I can do this. And I went to lunch with a friend, Lynn Burnett, who owns Uptown Magazine. And I said, I'm going to write a book. And he said, that's amazing. What do you want to write a book about? He never said, why do you want to write a book? What are you going to talk about? You're not good enough. He didn't give me any. He's like, what is it? And how do we make it big? Because that's just one spirit. And I told him and he said, well, you email me your table of contents. And I had already had it because I spoke to B. Smith. So I sent him my thing. And then he said, why don't you write a, 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 a um, test chapter? And I tried to write a test chapter. Oh, and he said, wow. you have a book. Well, you got to do this. That wow. was 2010. Wow. And then I went through this whole series of emotions and things that made me say, wait a minute, you can write this book. And then there were the, all these amazing, beautiful, strong black women, Marilyn Van Alstine picked up the phone every day and asked me, what did you write on your book? What did you dedicate to your book? Tamika Colet, who was my assistant at the time, and now she's at Motown Records, every day encouraging. Erin Harris, my sister, my best friends, my mother, people were fueling into me to write this book. And I was kicking and screaming. I didn't want to do it. So every time I look at this finished product, I'm so proud of it because I was so scared and I felt so small. And it just, it was a really, really huge, huge journey for me. And at the end, I'm so thankful and happy that I did it. I think, I'm sorry. I think one of the great things, one, one of the things that's so profound about what you said is that, you know, you've had all of these amazing women black women around you that really pushed you to really get this thing done. Right. Because it's, it can be intimidating, you know, to, you know, write a book and, you know, to try to get all of those. So that's, that's something that's on my bucket list. At some point I want to write a book, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, just like you, well, I'm you just need like 10 topics. I need 10 topics. And <laughs> a, a table of contents and a test chapter. Okay. So we uh, I think I probably you don't need a test chapter yet. You just need 10 topics. Okay. And you okay. have a book, just I 10 topics. I probably got a good three in me right now. But no, I just just think that's just so phenomenal. And, you know, because this book is like, it's a bunch of life lessons, I think, you know, for women. Um, And I think, honestly, too, a lot of these, these things can be transferable. I think men can can use a lot. I think men definitely need to read this. I absolutely do. Yeah. So I I just wanted to read, before you go there, just because this, I, just because this touches on on what she said. And I just wanted to read what I wrote about this book. I already read it to Erica, but I'm going to read it for everyone else. And I said, this book feels like I'm reading my own diary. I feel so validated by Erica's experiences. And, you know, I've always known that the key to success lies within. And this book reinforces that, Mm. right? It It wasn't some book talking about, you know, how... She just was so amazing from the day she started. And no, like this is a journey. Mm -hmm. This book takes you on a journey of of a real person's life who is phenomenally successful, Mm -hmm. but makes it so relatable. And, you know, I have my own journey. But, you know, when I when I think about some of the things that hold me back, I was listening to a podcast today about how when you're, and and this is, you reminded me of this because when you said you wanted to write the book, you said fear cropped up. And and what they were saying was that fear is the, the co-pilot to motivation. So as soon as you're motivated, fear pops up. And that's exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. And you just have to tell fear, take a back seat. Right. You're going to be in the car. I know you're always going to be there. But me and motivation, we got somewhere to go. Me and inspiration, we got a journey. Right. So, I love that. so that's what I wanted to say about the book and just what writing this book, what this means to, to people who look at you and maybe see themselves in you. Right. Because this is that's how I feel when I see Beyonce. Right. When I go when when I go to a Beyonce concert and I see somebody when and I see Beyonce, it's like, okay, no, I'm not comparing myself to Beyonce. But I'm saying, you know, that's that woman comes from a very similar bloodline to me. And she's doing something that everybody probably told her she couldn't do. Right. And so that's why examples like yours continue to fuel people who have. Who, who have that inspiration and that motivation, but that co-pilot of fear likes to tell us not to. So, so thank you for writing this book. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for that, that statement. And I, Jamil, we didn't mean to cut you off, but no, yeah. No, no, we just, it's just, it's just true. I agree with you. And I know just sometimes just sit back and just let, let y'all have your moment, you know, but you know, I, I absolutely love that, Shatora. And, and it's funny too, because I was just, um, I was in New York City um, last weekend and I was um, having, uh, I was having a, a dinner with a friend of mine and, you know, a lot of that same sentiment is kind of popped up because I know even with myself, I've had a, an incredible amount of success um, over the years. And but I, it, there's still that fear sometimes of just like, you know, I don't think it goes away. It, Does no, it go it never, away, Erica? Yeah. Have you? Right. No. Yeah. Not at yeah. all. Not even remotely. Yeah. So I just know that, you know, if I can just kind of tap into my uh, my inner Erica, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'll be able to, you know kind of you know overcome a lot of those a lot mm -hmm. of those those fears and 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 apprehensions that I have about like stuff yeah. you know but one of the things I wanted to talk about real quick Erica um, we have a few more minutes on the pod but um uh chapter six it was um you talk about defining and controlling your own narrative right we yeah. we talk about that a lot nowadays you know especially with you know in the aftermath of you know George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, and just how we as black people sometimes are portrayed in the media, right? So can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Like this, the importance of, because you have like some of the rules and such of, of you know, and I love this. I think every chapter the, has. Yeah, yeah, the Pittman's rules. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, but specifically about controlling your own and defining your own narrative. Can you just talk about the the, the vital importance of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on. And that's a great way to sort of like bring it all together. It's so important to tell your own story and position yourself in the world the way you see yourself fit. And that was the point of my very long-winded early on uh, dialogue around how I got to where I am today. You know, a few people in my career and even in my personal life, you know, um, Shatori, you talked about my mom and, you know, they told me I couldn't go away to school. They told me I shouldn't go to Europe and all these different things. The people will tell you what you should and shouldn't do without throughout your career, but or in your life, excuse me. But you have to be able to create your own narrative um, mm -hmm. and be able to tell your own story and make the decisions around your life that are going to define how you show up in the world. But with that great opportunity comes immense responsibility. And so how are you showing up? You know, when you have these opportunities and when you're when you, you know, uh, own this independence and own these decisions, what are you prepared to do with it? Like mm -hmm. I just saw on, on Instagram yesterday, maybe Saturday or yesterday uh, during spring break. Did you guys see the, the melee the that was going on in Miami? Yeah, the melee yeah. is the perfect way to yeah. say it. It was insane. Third, yeah. Who's yeah. behaving this way? This has right. nothing to do with age. This has nothing to do with coolness culture connection, Puff Daddy, Jay-Z, little baby, whomever. This has not, this is ridiculous. You guys look like a bunch of animals in the street. Why yeah. are you behaving this way? Yeah. And it's like, we want all of this, you know, access and we want all of this opportunity, but we are not creating spaces for ourselves as individuals to represent that in, 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 a, in a real forwarding way. And so really creating your narrative is understanding you know, some of these decisions you make today may be a direct reflection of who you are tomorrow. And mm. yeah. yeah, and and that was where I, you know, I put, I think I put like five steps in the book around social media, just social media alone. Like, you know, don't take nude pictures. I'm sorry. I know you see a lot of the, the likes come from provocative posts and those sorts, but just don't do it. It's not worth it. When right. it, what you're gonna marry, maybe you'll marry the president of the United States. Think about if Michelle Obama, took a body shot in college and it was on Facebook. We wouldn't have a black president. It wouldn't right. have worked. Right. And I'm not saying that the responsibility of her life is predicated on, you know, Barack Obama's success. I'm not saying that by little Barack Obama could have been taking the body shot off of another woman's body. Mm -hmm. he, they, they, they were above reproach. <laughs> and when you are a person of color in the United States of America, you mm. have to be above reproach. Mm. Bottom line, you have to be um, excellent. A, a yeah. chief marketing officer. Okay. <laughs> so listen you just to do. Listen. They're going to because people will create a narrative on your behalf if you don't create your own narrative. So it's like, what story are you telling about yourself? How do you want to show up in the world? And what are you what's what legacy are you going to leave behind with every action that you make or take? And 
you know, we just have to be a little bit more mindful. And I know we want to be free and expressive and all those things are great, but it's temporary. And, and I, I was talking to another friend of mine about the difference between like, would you trade your professionalism for social capital? And by social capital, I mean, booty pics. And no, why? Because the likes are here today, gone tomorrow. Because guess what? One day you're going to be 65, 70 and don't nobody want to see your booty pics anymore. <laughs> so, you know, you have to, you know, your professionalism lasts forever, right? That is how, that's what you build your brand on. That's what you build your career on and your credibility. So I, that, I mean, you know. And you know what, I'll, I, and I'll add to that because I think that's important, but that doesn't always fit the bill for everyone, right? I think mm -hmm. deeper than even what you're saying is, mm -hmm. I am not my hair. I am not this black jacket. Mm -hmm. I am not this makeup. I'm not these things, but who mm -hmm. am I? And what mm -hmm. do I really stand for? When yeah. you think about, Car I use Cardi B every time when we talk about chapter six, because I think that she has done a phenomenal job of owning her narrative. She is who she is. Cardi B is a self-proclaimed stripper from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's what she said, right? Yeah. But Cardi B is so much more than that. She owned right. all the yeah. parts of who she is. But yeah. Cardi B honestly doesn't, I mean, you know, the Grammys show was provocative, but she's not really like using booty pics to really advance who she is. She's accepting all right. of who she is right. and being all parts of herself yeah. and that's yeah. what's making her so phenomenal oh, that's I why she it. has a direct dial to joe biden she can call the president of the united states who's gonna <laughs> pick up her call the that's, stripper from the bronx the stripper from the, the bronx that is the right call the president of the united no, states that's America. So, you're, you're right that is because so she true. has owned all of who she is mm -hmm. so i'm not suggesting that people take away from who they are i'm simply saying really dial into who you are and own yeah. that yeah 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 that's that's beautiful advice. Amazing. So, you know, we're, we, we are running up on time, but one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we was going to do, we wanted to uh, give away some copies of the book too. Right? I was going to ask yeah. the last question. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. The, always the last question. Oh, yes, yes. We do have one final question. The, it's a simple question, but not. But we ask it to everybody, and it's, what does being Black mean to you? Oh. I just got chills. My hairs on my arms just stood up. Yeah. Oh, being being black to me, it just means magical. It means I am I am so blessed and honored to be in the skin that I'm in. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, what else could I be? I mean, it's just I mean, why wouldn't I want to be this? This is yeah. amazingness. You know, it's yeah. just blackness is so dynamic and multidimensional and, and smart and uh, irreverent and passionate. And it, it, it's in our blood, it's who we are. You know, we, we are as finite as the oceans and the trees and the mountains. We are part of earth. We are a part of how this divine ordainness created this thing to be. We are a part of that. And so for me to be black, I am honored. Yeah. And I do everything in my power to to express that from the way that I show up, for the way that I conduct myself, for the way that I support the people around me, for the way that I support black people. Mm -hmm. It is important for for anyone that is black to really understand who they are. And mm -hmm. I just I am black and I'm proud. I just thought the other day and I know I don't want to go on too long because I know we've got about eight minutes or so. I was thinking about how awesome it is that we could say the word black out loud on CNN mm. and it's okay again. I'm like, mm. I'm black and I'm proud. I don't have to be Afro-American. I don't have to be oh, yeah. Negro or oh, yeah. black. Yeah. Because you're white and you're right. all these other things. I'm black and I'm very, very proud to be black. And I just love it. And I wouldn't be anything else if I could trade it. Mm. I think... Um, of all the times you've asked that question, I've never heard a response. Like I've literally got goosebumps <laughs> as she's answering that question. Like I, I mean, I mean, you you said that so beautifully, Erica. I mean, we, I mean, we've been having people um, throughout the the pods night who've been commenting and um, shout out to Mark overall. He said, uh, I definitely love being black. So big shout out to you, brother. We appreciate you. Um, and it's been 
it's it's just this has just been an amazing amazing conversation yeah amazing no it's like it, no it's been insightful yeah right very much so i mean your perspective um it it really helps illuminate so many things that sometimes even i have a hard time articulating so so thank you for your insight and sharing your wisdom with us and and your book <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you guys for having me and, and listening to my diatribe. <laughs> Dude's green. He says black, black with, with a, a capital B. B. That's right. Hey. Y'all better put some respect on that black. You know, so, so so Erica, thank you. We we so appreciate you so much for um taking some time out of your busy, busy schedule. Um Erica the, has the book given us books yeah, to give away. Yeah, we're gonna be giving these books away, people. So um, real quick, Erica, before we um announce how we're gonna give the books away, people wanted to learn more about you, how they can get the book, how they can connect with you on social media, kind of plug your stuff. Well, absolutely. So you can go to ericapittman.com. That's E-R-I-E-R-I-C-K-A, Pittman.com. Uh, and if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm Erica M. Pittman. And that's how you find me. That's awesome. Awesome. So, so how are we going to do this? So we got, we got, we got the book. We got some books. We got to some give books away. that we want to give away to some, to some guests. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the viewers who yeah. have been. Uh, go to Instagram. Yeah. You got to go to Instagram. You got to follow B Sweet Podcast on Instagram. Like the post. It's the last post we put up. And then you have to go to Erica's page and you have to follow Erica. And once you do all of those things, yep. you'll be entered to win one of these books. And we will ship the books to you. So make sure uh, that we get your information as well. Um, because we will ship the books um, to you. Uh, U.S. You know, only. U.S. only. Yeah, we don't. You know, anything <laughs> outside of the U.S. Yeah. Assuming we yeah. have international. No, no, we don't. We don't. We got international. You know, people checking in. Shout out to the folks. No, no, no. <laughs> I know you got beef for Canada right now. So uh, I think we all have beef. I just want the borders to open back up. So, oh, real quick before we um, let you go, Erica. So obviously we've been um, in the midst of this pandemic. Things are about to hopefully start opening back up soon. Like. What's that one thing that you're going to do, like, once outside really opens back up? What's that one thing that you're uh, really looking forward to? I mean, I'm just, I just want to go to another country. Like, I went to Mexico yeah. at the top of the year, but, like, I want to go away. Like, mm. maybe Africa. I'm just really looking to go as far away as I can mm. and enjoy myself and, and experience other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so looking. I'm actually, I'm going to Mexico uh, next weekend, oh, actually. Man. I'll be yeah. here in Mexico. Cabo San Lucas. So, I was just there in January. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. After yeah. Um, I'm DJing uh, one of one of my friends' wedding down there, so I'm really looking forward to that. So, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm trying to be out in these streets, man. I got my vaccination, you know. I got so, one more to get. Yeah, but I'm just I'm gonna just <laughs> lay low till everybody else gets theirs. Too. <laughs> no. Well, listen, even with your vaccination, still wear a mask. Absolutely. Distance. Let's be responsible. Yep. Yes, I know absolutely. we're hearing a lot in the media about three feet and you don't need a mask. Just wear a mask. Stay wear far mask. away and be safe. Listen, yeah. I'm double masking it up, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. especially Stay on clean. these planes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. but no, Eric, again, thank you so much for your time today. We so appreciate you uh, just for taking some time. I, I, I encourage everyone who's still watching right now, please go get her book, ericapittman.com. You can go, you go on Amazon and get the book. It's an amazing, amazing amazing book i mean it has some incredible this lessons for life not just for women because i'm i can certainly apply a lot of these lessons for myself and i know a lot of men can do as well so uh so again again we really encourage you guys to go ericapittman.com get the webs up get the book follow her on social media as well on all of her platforms and again thank you so much erica for uh for checking in with us so thank uh you. yeah absolutely so with that we're going to wrap it up tora it's been it's been so real been a pleasure this has been an amazing uh successful <laughs> launch of season four we had such a the uh our guest i couldn't ask for a better guest to, really no yeah, when i mean you, come when on when you man. said oh we're gonna have erica pittman on the podcast i said who who's podcast <laughs> ours she ain't coming on here yeah listen okay. man <laughs> so i'm i'm so just excited you know just to have that relationship with her and um, and she's just doing amazing things. So we just want to make sure that we continue to uplift her and just all black women. Listen, you know? no, every, all black people, yeah. right? All black people. We, all black people. All black people. We are one community. We are one community. We support each other. I don't care 
how successful somebody gets, how much, like, like she said earlier, like you said earlier, Erica, you did, you did what you do to create opportunities as well. Right. So there is nothing wrong with being financially driven. There is nothing wrong with being successful. There is nothing wrong with having some measure of celebrity, especially if you're going to use it to create opportunities for the rest of the community. So thank you for doing that and being a great example. And we're here. We're here for everybody black. Yeah. So thank you. All things black, black and black, black, black. So <laughs> guys, make sure that you um, follow us on all of the major streaming platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to your podcast, you can listen to us. Uh, this is going to be the replay for this is going to be on our Facebook page. So you can go to our Facebook page as well uh, at the B-Suite Podcast. It's actually going to be on our website as well, the B-Suite Podcast. And make sure that you follow us on Instagram at B-Suite Podcast. So, so again, to so everybody who tuned in for our live show, we really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for checking in with us. Shatora, appreciate you, Jay, bro. Appreciate you. You know, I love you. Love you, you know, too. sister from another mister. That's you know, true. So, um, thanks. Thanks again, guys. We really appreciate you. Check you out on the next podcast. All right. Peace.